Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Sam, and I am the youth pastor um, here at Christchurch. Um, so before we, we get into the message this morning, I thought I might encourage you guys with some stories from what's been going on in the youth. Would people be up for that this morning? Be good? Great. So on Friday, we had our kind of our end of term celebration type thing that we do for Easter. So we had Easter inflatables. Um, so we actually had an assault course running the entire length of the back there. Um, and we did some loads, had loads of fun activities. But part of what we do is we do kind of a little God slot in the middle um, of those evenings. And so we've been going through this series called If God, Then What? So the concept of if there is a God, then that's going to look like something and things like that. So this, this week we did if God, then why did he die? So we looked at it. So if there is a God, then why did God die? Because that seems to contradict itself, right? If he's God, then he shouldn't die. Um, and so we looked at that. But after that, I had about four or five young people um, completely kind of non-Christian and church that wanted to come and sit down with me and ask loads of questions about Jesus and what that was about and things like that, which was great. Um, so praise God for that. And we also had um, one, one of our young people um, it came up and said they'd really damaged that. They'd damaged that ankle at school um, and that obviously being on inflatables had made that infinitely worse. Um, and so kind of asked to pray. And so we prayed, prayed three times and the pain completely left the ankle. Um, so God is doing great stuff amongst the young people. So thank you for your prayers. Um, if you want to know any more stories, please do come and see me because I've got hundreds. Um, so that'd be great. Right, we are, as Rob said, starting a new series this morning. Um, so this idea of renewed creation um, is kind of what we're calling it, kind of leading up to Easter uh, and the whole concept of what we're going to be looking at there about being made new in God. And this morning, we are looking at an aspect of that, kind of the idea of our, our minds being renewed, okay? So we're going to dive into the book of Romans today. So if you've got a Bible with you, please can I encourage you to open that up to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And just as you turn very, very briefly, the book of Romans, um, you can roughly separate it into two. Okay, so you can get chapters 1 to 11, and then chapters 12 to 15. Okay, that's roughly how you can separate it. And in chapters 1 to 11, what we kind of get is this incredible display of the, the place of, of humanity before God without Jesus. Um, and it is an incredibly dull picture. It's an incredibly hard picture that we are all sinful, that we have no way of getting back to God, that kind of the law, the rules that God has given, we can't live up to them. And we're just, it's just there's no hope. And then there's Jesus. And as Jesus comes, Jesus is shown as the only hope. He's shown as the Savior and the Messiah of all things. Okay, So we get this whole picture again and again and again and again through chapters 1 to 11. Chapters 12 to 15 is actually kind of the outworking of that in loads of practical ways. Um, okay, So that's what we're, we're getting into is the very start of this. Um, so you'll see that as we read in verses 1 to 3. Starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, focusing on verse 2, Paul doesn't give us many options, does he? 
And actually, you find this quite often in the Bible. The Bible is very clear that there is one option or another. So if you just go to the book of Ephesians, you find that we are either dead in our sin or alive in Jesus. And right here, Paul does the exact same thing. We're either conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of our minds. Those are our two options. Sometimes we wish we had more. Sometimes we, there, was a, there was a nice fluffy middle ground that we could sit in, but there's not. There's conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And conformity isn't kind of this whole idea of kind of going with the flow or just kind of fitting in and it's all nice and relaxed. That's not, that's not what conformity is. It's not like fitting into a shoal of fish. It's not, that's not what conformity is. Conformity, it's being molded and shaped to something or someone else's will and purposes. Okay, molded and shaped to something or someone else's will and purposes for you. Okay, and that sounds uncomfortable, right? The idea of being fit into a mold that actually isn't designed for us in the way that we're meant to be in. But that's exactly what conformity looks like. It's uncomfortable and it can even be painful. And actually conformity is absolutely no power to change anything in our lives. There is no heart transformation that comes from conforming to someone else's will and purposes. There's no transformation. There's no freedom. There's no life in that. So I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples just to kind of, kind of emphasize this. And the first example that I want to give is speed cameras. The giggle shows that I know some people have cottoned on to where I'm going with this already. Right, speed cameras. We are going along at what we deem to be an acceptable speed. For the most of us, that's slightly over the speed limit when we can get away with it, okay? Let's just be honest with that, okay? And then as soon as you see the speed camera, you slow down till about five miles per hour under the speed limit, and you go along, and then as soon as those little white lines are off, you then go again to exactly what you think is an acceptable speed limit for that, okay? Conformity has that amount of power to transform us. We're going along, and then as soon as we feel like we've got to be conformed and shaped into something, we stop, and we go, and it's really uncomfortable, and we're desperate to put our foot on the pedal, and then as soon as that pressure is gone, we're off. The second example that I can give, school uniform. Okay, School uniform is great. From you guys that kind of are in school at the minute, you'll know this more, but from your school days, I'm sure you can think about this. School uniform, you get given a set of clothes, and the idea behind it is that everyone looks exactly the same. And we all know that as soon as you get through the front gates, past the headmaster, past the strict teachers, top button comes undone, shirt gets untucked, tie gets ridiculously short. Like, we all know that it happens. Like, conformity lasts moments. And it's always because of an external pressure to fit us and mold us into something. Okay. Now, those are a couple of silly examples. But actually, the issue of conformity is a big one. Because actually, when we talk about conformity, when we, especially when we talk about being conformed to the world, the motivation behind that is often fear of punishment. It's fear of rejection. It's guilt. It's shame that we conform to this thing that we know is uncomfortable and we know is painful, but we do it out of fear and guilt and shame. And actually, Paul defines it as, as leading to one thing, and that thing is oppression. 
It's like slavery being conformed to this image. Because the conformity that Paul has in mind is conforming to the world. And that's not kind of the idea of the, the, the country he was in or the area that he was in. But actually, when he talks about the world, he's talking about kind of the age that we live in. Okay, And so Paul and the Bible is really kind of two clear distinctives, and we talked about this a lot in the Kingdom of God series, how kind of there is this age, which is the age where there is still sin, even though Jesus has come, there is still sin, there is, Satan is still kind of on the loose, that we still have all this stuff that is going on around us, and then there is the age to come when Jesus returns and all that is gone. So when Paul is talking about being conformed to the world, he's talking about being conformed to kind of sin and Satan and that place in our lives. And this was true of all of us, okay? At some point, every single one of us were conformed to the world. Romans chapter 6 talks about how before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin, unable to stop sinning. That no matter what we tried to do, no matter how good we were, no matter how many good things we did for other people, no matter how many laws we obeyed, no matter what we did, we could not stop thinking and saying and doing things we knew were wrong. That we were unable to stop sinning. That we were enslaved to the passions and desires of our hearts that go against God and his will. We were all conformed. We were all molded and shaped and enslaved by sin and by Satan and his lies into what sin and that purposes, the purposes of sin had for us, which is separation from God. But thank God for Jesus. Because in Christ, that's no longer true. We no longer conform to sin and Satan, our hearts kind of remaining unchanged and dead, but we have been made alive in Christ. Jesus has liberated us from sin and Satan and death, and he's given us fullness of life, his righteousness, perfect love, joy, peace, freedom, and inheritance, and a hope. In other words, we've been completely transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Like conformity, when we're transformed in Christ, we are molded and we are shaped to look like something. But rather than being squeezed and fit into a mold that is uncomfortable and painful, we are liberated and transformed and molded and shaped to what we were always supposed to be. We go from those who are kind of rebelling against God, dead and captive, to those who are free, restored to the way we were in Eden. Perfect image bearers, untainted by sin and free to live a life of reflecting God to the world around us. That's true freedom. True freedom. The only true freedom there is in this world is to be transformed into God's image. And there's two other places where this word comes up in the New Testament, this word transformed. The first one is in the Gospels, okay? And the word in the Gospels where it is translated is translated instead of transformed to transfigured. And where we see this word is in the transfiguration of Jesus, okay? So for those of you who don't know the story, Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his disciples. A cloud comes down, and he is transfigured before them. What happens is every single part of him changes as his glory is revealed to the disciples. Everything about him changes. Not a single bit is left unchanged. His whole nature, his whole character, to the point where the only way that the disciples can start explaining it is they go, his clothes were seriously white. There's no other words that they have. That's how changed and transformed he was before them. 
And the other place in the New Testament where it says this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do we get the picture? Yeah. This is total transformation, complete transformation, glorious transformation, not by anything we've done or anything that we've worked up towards, but through the grace of God, through the finished work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And it needs to be said that what this does look like, it's not, we don't don't swap being conformed to the world to being conformed to what God says. It's not one sense of conformity to another. We don't go from being conformed and oppressed and kind of with fear of punishment and kind of guilt and shame and fear of rejection in one sense to sin and then go and go to God and go, well, I'm, I'm still f- afraid of punishment. I'm still feeling guilty. I'm still feeling ashamed. And therefore, I've got to do what you say. But that's not what it looks like to be transformed. To be transformed is to, to know that Jesus prayed the, paid the price for our sin. The punishment he deserved, we deserved, he bore. He put upon us his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he says and maybe even sings over us that we are clean, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are holy. If you are a Christian, God has transformed you and is transforming you into his likeness and image. We are no longer dead and conformed to sin, but we are alive and transformed by God. However, there is a question to ask, and some of you will probably might even be asking this. If we are transformed in the moment we become a Christian, if our heart is transformed, if we are a new creation, why then do we, is the Bible, like on that, that 2 Corinthians 3 passage, and kind of where Paul is saying this, why does it seem like this is an ongoing thing? Are we transformed, or are we being transformed? And the answer is yes. Both. And that is what is true. Our hearts are completely changed the moment that we come to faith in Jesus. But for the rest of our lives, until Jesus calls us home or he returns, he is making us like him. We are both transformed and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Just as the kingdom of God is here and present now and is coming in Jesus. It's the same situation. So we are to continually come to God in the relationship that we have that has been won by Jesus and say, God, I know, I know there is a temptation for me to be conformed. I know there is a temptation for me to sin and believe in the lives of Satan. Would you help me? Would you change me and shape me? Would you show me truth? Would you show me your love? Would you transform my mind so I can love you and seek you? And it's this thing of being continually transformed in our minds so that we look like God, so that we reflect God, that Paul is talking about in verse 1 of chapter 12. It is this life of being transformed continually by God that is our true and proper worship. That as we live lives that are being transformed day in, day out, of coming to him, of saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, asking him to transform us, that that is our lives of worship. That is what it means to give ourselves as a, as a sacrifice to God, day in, day out, going, God, because of all that you have done for me in Jesus, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Would you transform me by your spirit?
And I'm just going to give some context to this um, by just being a bit vulnerable and just sharing about some places where this works out in my life and what this looks like. Okay, um, and so the first place that this is kind of a constant battle day in, day out for me is this whole idea of kind of selfishness um, and self-centeredness, okay? And as with, with a lot of things, this happens when I'm tired and when I'm stressed or when I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I kind of get really, really grumpy over really, really silly things. So I get really wound up and it becomes a proper inconvenience when my daughter Olivia, who's only one and a half, starts acting like a toddler. Like, it's just so inconvenient, and I get so angry. Like, why are you pulling things off the shelf? Why are you not doing this? Why? Because she's a toddler. I get really grumpy and angry and inconvenienced by Hannah not being able to read my mind and knowing what I really want. It happens, okay? I get really wound up and grumpy when young people aren't doing what they're told and aren't being mature, which is young people. And actually, but it's the sin in my heart, and every day I have to come to God and go, God, I know, I'd want to worship you. I know it's not about me. I know because of what you've done in Jesus, I am free from selfishness, from self-centeredness. I know that my life is about you. Help me to serve others. Help me to love others. Help me to be transformed by you. And one of the other areas for this is, is pride and ego. Just, you know, that I would look at people and be like, how did you get there? so much better than you at that. You know? Looking at people and going, oh, well, you know, if I was given the opportunity, it would look a lot different. You know, why, you know, why do they say that? Why, you know, why can't I be here, there, and the other? And it's just, there's this constant battle to go, but no, because God has put me in a place that God has got a thing for me here that I'm to humble myself just as Jesus humbled himself. And God, would you transform my mind in that? Would you help me to see it's not about me? It's not about what I think I should do or should be or what I should think that should happen, but God, would you help me? Would you help me be humble? Would you help me see that it is about you? Would you help me again to serve others? And this transformation that we're talking about, this takes place by our minds being renewed. And I've already kind of talked about this a bit, that, that by day by day, week by week, month by month, transformation takes place according to the renewing of our minds. Okay, and the main way that we need to understand this is that it takes place not in our own strength or by our own means. We can't, kind of can't just clench and just, okay, I'm being transformed. It doesn't work like that. We can't try really, really hard at it. It's by coming to God in prayer and saying, Lord, transform me today by your Holy Spirit. Renew my mind. Holy Spirit, reveal to me the places where I need to repent. Show me the places where I'm sinning. Help me to see your truth and live a life for you. That this has to start with knowing that we cannot transform ourselves, that there is a temptation to be conformed to the world, and we need to ask God, would you help me? Holy Spirit, you're the one that can do this. Renew my mind. Show me where I'm not being renewed by you. Show me where I'm not being transformed by you. Help me. That if we are not praying and we're not coming to God for this, we are not going to be keep on being transformed in our minds. We are not going to keep living that life of worship that we know that we want to live before God. And another way of this is by beholding the glory of the Lord. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our minds are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. And what that means is by looking at Jesus, by gazing at him, by fixing our eyes at him, by seeing that he is wonderful, by seeing that he is our amazing savior, by marveling at who he is and what he's done, and by treasuring him above all things. And one of the reasons why I think this plays out in our lives is because if it's one or the other, we're either transformed by the renewing of our minds or we're conformed to the sin in the world. We've got to bear in mind, how often are we seeing Jesus and seeing God and seeing his truth? Because we can guarantee that whenever we're not seeing Jesus and thinking of Jesus and dwelling upon him and talking upon him, we are being fed all the lies of the world. Whether that's through your phones and the onslaught of social media, whether that's through TV and what you watch, whether that's through what you listen to on the radio or the music that you listen to, whether that's the conversations in your workplace or your school, there is an onslaught that we face from the minute that we wake up to the minute that we go asleep that is contrary to what God has said is good. And so if we're not beholding the glory of the Lord, if we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus, then we're definitely fixing our eyes on something. But it's not God, it's not truth, it's not transforming us. And that's not to say that you go around your whole time kind of just openly praying and just shutting out all the conversations, but it means that you're aware that these things are seeking to conform you back to sin, seeking to conform you against what God is transforming you to be like. So we behold the glory of the Lord. And one of the ways that we do this is by reading our Bibles. Okay, and I know that getting into the Bible can be a really, really difficult thing. I never want to dismiss that in any way, shape, or form. But as, a, as an age group, as a generation, we have got more access to the Bible, to Bible teachers, to sermons online, to commentaries, to books that explain the Bible than any other generation that's gone before us. And we're also the most biblically illiterate generation that has ever been. Those two contradict each other, right? We've got the resources. The issues we're not looking and looking at the Bible and, and asking God to show us who he is by doing that hard work of, of reading and understanding context and culture and knowing what God is saying in his word. And if you struggle with that, that's not, to, that's not a guilt trip. Grab someone and say that you struggle. We all do. The reason why my Bible's so big is because half of it's a commentary, I've got to understand, I can't, I need to understand, I need help in understanding what it's saying. Like we all struggle with this, but we need, if we're going to behold the glory of our Lord, if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we've got to understand the Bible. If you want recommendations, come and grab one of the elders or one of the leaders, and we'll give you recommendations for commentaries. Grab someone, go through it with them. Get a Bible reading plan on your phone, just get into the word of God and behold his glory. Because okay? when we read the Gospels, when we, when we read things about Jesus, we read things like this. So this is in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Read 
that. Read, read and memorize passages that speak of Jesus so you can behold him in the moments when you've not got the word right in front of you. Like passages like Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, that say that Jesus, saying that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As we behold Jesus, our minds are transformed, our minds are renewed, and we know it, right? That when we're reading those passages, when we're listening to sermons where they're just talking about how awesome Jesus is and how amazing he is, or when we're singing songs that lift high the name of Jesus, we're not tempted to sin. It's not even close. That when we are marveling at Jesus, when we are marveling at who he is, it's nowhere near us in those moments. Right? We, we get that reality. Yeah? And we can do this day by day by day by seeing that Jesus is just so much better than sin. He's so much better than the, the body image that we're told to live up to. He's so much better than the image of sex and what the, you know, the culture is saying that we should be like with sex and sexuality. He's so much better than power or money or fame or whatever it is that we're being told. That when we see Jesus and who he is, he is infinitely better there's no comparison, but we need to be coming before God and beholding Jesus in his glory. If we're to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to see Jesus in his glory. And we do this day by day. We read the Bible. We read Jesus-exalting books. We listen to Jesus-exalting preachers. We have worship music on loads, Okay? That this is a t perfectly attainable, reachable, tangible thing that we can do in our lives. So again, I'm giving myself an example here in all my failings with it. Okay, so for me, I get up, don't do anything straight away because I have to like, get up with Livy. But then, like in in the shower, that's my time to kind of pray. And the reason why it's kind of that is because otherwise my mind just drifts to movie plots and plot holes in books that I've read and just ridiculous things like that. So I pray, and I, and I pray, and I use that time to pray and set myself up for the day. I read my Bible every morning, and kind of I pray on my way to work. I pray as I'm going about and I'm doing stuff. One of my chores that I do every day is I do the washing up, and so I listen to a sermon because again, otherwise all I'm doing is thinking about movie plots and plot holes. Okay, I listen to a sermon or I listen to worship music. When I go for a jog, which is not often, I listen to a sermon. Okay, I listen to worship music in the car when I'm on my own and also when we're together. And I'm not going to sorted. I'm not sorted. Like I've shared the daily struggles that, with you that I have, and there's more. Okay, they're infinitely worse than you think. But the point being, the point being, that we can do it because I do this because I want my mind to be transformed. I want to worship God. I want to worship the God who saved me and changed me and shaped me and is coming back. 
And so I do those things. I put it into my life. And sometimes I don't do it very well. Sometimes I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. Sometimes I, I don't manage to kind of listen to a sermon or whatever it is when I'm washing up. But I try every day to put these things in place so that I can partner with the Holy Spirit in Him transforming my mind. Finally, our minds are renewed as we meet with other believers and encourage one another in Christ. So Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, brothers and sisters, the day is drawing near. We don't know when it is, but it's soon. That's all we're told by Jesus, that he's coming back, and he's coming back soon. We don't know the day or the hour or the time, but he's coming back soon. And the point being that God has said to us to encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works. Now, the Holy Spirit does the work of transforming our minds. That's not on us. But what is on us is to encourage one another, because if we know this truth, right, if we know everyone in this room is either being conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're told to stir one another up to love and good works, then we've got to be stirring one another up to being transformed. We've got to be doing this together. It is our corporate responsibility. It's our corporate responsibility for one another, to stir one another up, to encourage one another, and strengthen one another, and challenge one another. Come on, be transformed this week. Be transformed. Don't conform. I know stuff's hard, but be transformed. Meeting together is not just about hearing a sermon or singing songs or the of worship or the free coffee that we get at the end. We meet together to encourage one another and to stir one another up. Our conversations on a Sunday, on life group, when we see each other in the week, if we're texting one another or on WhatsApp groups, should be saturated with stuff like this. They should be saturated with questions like, what are you reading in the Bible at the minute? How is God encouraging you in that? What are you struggling with? What song is God encouraging you in right now? What song is, is kind of just really helping you through the day or through these situations that you're going through? Hey, what are you struggling with? What, what are the struggles in your life at the minute? How can I pray for you? How can I support you in those struggles? Do you want to read this book together? I've heard this book is great and probably doesn't mean us meeting up every week, but hey, if we both agree to read a chapter a week and then text each other, then we can kind of be texting one another what God is impressing on us. How has God answered your prayers this week? That's a great one to encourage one another in. How has God answered your prayers this week? What's your testimony? What's the story of God moving in your life? What's the story? How, do you, how did God move in your life and save you and shape you, and how did you end up where you are now? And if you had a minute to share that with someone who asked you, what would you say that? How would you say that? What you've just told me, how would you say that in a minute if you were given the opportunity? Who are you praying that God gives you an opportunity to witness to this week? These are the questions, these are the things, and that's not a, it's not a type, you don't have to do these questions alone, but, but questions like these, they should, they should saturate what we say and what we do. Because if, if we're all we're doing is being conformed to sin, or being transformed by the renewing of our minds, then the thing that God is calling us to do together is to say, let's be transformed Let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's encourage one another and strengthen one another and build one another up to this. We play a, part, a, a, play a part in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, in encouraging one another to do this. 
The Holy Spirit transforms our minds, but he calls us to work with him, to partner with him in encouraging us to do so. So this morning, what we're going to do, after we've sung one song, another song, after we've finished the meeting, these questions are going to go back up, and we're going to do this. We're going to ask each other questions. We're going to encourage each other this morning to be transformed by the renewing of our mind this week. And I really hope it's not just a one-week thing. I really hope we catch something of this, and we are then able to continue this week in, week out, day in, day out, in encouraging one another up to this, okay? So, you can only have one conversation and feel like you've done your duty, or you can have more, and it would be great to do that together, okay? So, I'm just going to invite the band back up as I just finish with this. Let us encourage one another to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But above everything else, let us behold the glory of Jesus who made a way for us to be liberated from slavery to sin and is transforming us by the Spirit from one degree of glory to another. Amen.